that didn't change anything. It changed everything. <laughs> Fox News seems a little confused about how to deal with the Mueller testimony, I guess. <laughs> well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck From in the middle. From Pacifica with Radio you. in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM, people powered radio in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Up in Grand Rapids on WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for you on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, at ColeSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, just to name a few of our fine affiliates from coast to coast and around the globe. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us. Yes, the great Heather Digby Parton will join us momentarily for insight and analysis following Wednesday's seven or so hours of testimony in the U.S. House by former special counsel Robert Mueller, what it all means for Democrats, Republicans, and yes, us regular old Americans. Look forward to uh, that conversation. But there are also some other items of note that have happened, in fact, over the past 24 to 48 hours while we have been consumed with Mueller and exactly what it will take to remove Uh, Whether you like him or you don't like him or you think he's a good president or not, what it will take to remove a wildly unlawful, repeated felon from our from our Oval Office. Uh, You know, call me crazy, but I don't think we should have a criminal uh, as president. But, uh, you know, beyond that question, I should note, aside from being a criminal, he's also wildly dangerous to Americans, to the world and yes, to the planet as a whole. Uh, Let's start very quickly with the planet itself today, Desi Doyen, as the uh, Trump administration continues to roll back all sorts of protections for the planet and our environment. Yes, they do. I know that's uh, of of note to you, (laughs) being a person on this planet, if nothing else. Uh, More than 100 intense wildfires are ravaging the Arctic since June with scientists describing the blazes as unprecedented. New satellite images show huge clouds of smoke billowing across uninhabited land in Greenland, Siberia, parts of Alaska. The wildfires come after the planet experienced the hottest June on record and is on track to experience the hottest July on record, which 
uh, as you told me, I think a few days ago, Desi, uh, that would actually make it the hottest month on record period, not just the hottest July. Correct. It would be the hottest month ever recorded in history. That's going on right now, this yep. month? Yep. It's very likely to. If not, it'll be uh, it'll be right up there with the top. I'm glad to be here for it, for uh, this record-breaking moment. But uh, if anybody missed it, don't worry. It'll happen again next month, uh, next uh, year. Well, maybe next month. Anyway, uh, all of this as heat waves sweep across Europe and the U.S. Europe is getting a, a, a double dose right now. We'll have that in our Green News report coming up a little bit later. But uh, as to these fires in the Arctic uh, and the uh, satellite images, you can see the smoke just billowing across huge areas of Greenland and Alaska as wildfires are just ravaging the place. Temperatures in the Arctic are rising at a faster rate than the global average, providing the right conditions for wildfires to spread, according to Mark Parrington, a senior scientist at Copernicus at Atmosphere Monitoring Service, or CAMS, they have tracked more than 100 intense fires in the Arctic Circle over the past month. He told CNN that the number of uh, number and intensity of these fires in the Arctic Circle is unusual and unprecedented. It's occurring in a very remote part of the world in an environment that many people would consider to be pristine. The average June temperature in Siberia, where the fires are raging, was almost 10 degrees higher than the long-term average between 1981 and 2010, according to the World Meteorological Organization. The fires themselves contribute to, climate, to the climate crisis by releasing carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, so caused by the climate crisis and making it worse at the same time. Apparently, these fires have emitted an estimated 100 megatons of carbon dioxide uh, into the atmosphere between the beginning of June and July 21. That is the equivalent of Belgium's entire carbon output in 2017, according to CAMS. And also, wildfires exacerbate global warming because they release pollutants into the atmosphere and the particles of uh, smoke land on snow and ice, which otherwise reflects heat back up. But when right. the snow and ice gets dark from this pollution... From the black soot, that black soot then absorbs the sun's radiation much more than the white ice, which would normally reflect it. That warm black soot causes the ice to melt more quickly, and that itself is a self-reinforcing mechanism of climate change. And speaking of warm black soot, the state of Ohio... I love the way Bloomberg's uh, Liam Denning begins his coverage on this. He says, Ohio's Republican state representative William Seitz declared several years ago the Ohio state legislature was not prepared to continue its, quote, march up state mandate mountain, unquote. He was voicing opposition to renewable and energy efficiency standards that he had described as Stalinist. Well, guess what? It turns out Sites isn't against mandate mountains after all. It's just a question of which mountain he chooses to climb, it seems. Sites co-sponsored House Bill 6, which passed Ohio's legislature and was swiftly signed by Republican Governor Mike DeWine on Tuesday. Among other things, the bill would provide subsidies to nuclear power plants and two old coal-fired power plants while weakening the state's alternative energy portfolio standard and energy efficiency benchmarks. In short, it delivers substantial blows 
to the Stalinist scourge of encouraging wind and solar power and more efficient use of electricity in the grid while providing a handout to struggling conventional generators. The Davis Bass and Perry nuclear plants, both on the shore of Lake Erie, are at risk of shutting down within a couple of years without support from the government, according to their bankrupt owner, First Energy Solutions. According to Bloomberg, uh, the two plants tend to be uh, losing money and are projected to be $161 million in the red this year. So the support from this bill, HB6, signed by the Republican governor, worth up to $150 million a year through 2027, will be very handy for them. The same goes for the two coal-fired plants owned by the same company and some others. Those two plants were first switched on 64 years ago and are also in trouble. But hey, big government Republican socialism is here to save the day once again, <laughs> picking winners and losers to prop up dirty coal and nuclear at the expense of cheaper, cleaner, renewable energy and the jobs that would have come with it for Ohioans. And the problem here, of course, is elections have consequences. These were voted in by the Ohio Republican legislature and governor. Good luck, Ohio. You get to pay more now. You get to pay more and you get less for it, uh, unless you count illness and so forth as uh, getting something from it. Uh, also, it was too late to get into our green news today, uh, but automakers have now struck a deal with California on emission standards, secretly working around the Trump administration, who was trying to cut back on those standards, despite the fact that it will mean thousands will unnecessarily die and be sickened under the Trump plan. So glad to see the auto industry is sort of giving the uh, Trump administration the middle finger here. More on that in the days ahead, no doubt. But killing Americans is not a problem for this administration, which announced today that it was going to be restarting the death penalty for federal criminals, lining up to kill about five Americans in the coming months. Perhaps Trump's 2020 slogan should be Make America Kill Americans Again. Meanwhile, a judge in California has for now blocked the Trump administration's new rule announced last week to unlawfully deny almost all migrants at the southern border from making asylum claims. That is completely in violation of both decades of federal law and international treaties and... Donald Trump's good friend, Kim Jong-un, after months of avoiding ballistic missile testing, which Trump likes to brag about, reportedly fired two ballistic missiles off the coast of North Korea just after Robert Mueller completed his testimony before the U.S. House on Wednesday. So it's all going very well. But speaking of Robert Mueller, let's take a quick break and we will be back with Heather Digby Parton to talk about uh, where this all goes from here and what changes may or may not be ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news 
five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Welcome back. It's Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Welcome back to it. On Wednesday, Republican former FBI Director and Special Counsel Robert Mueller finally testified to Congress about his 448-page report released earlier this year documenting his two-year probe of Russia's alleged interference in the 2016 presidential election, the Trump campaign's cooperation with that effort, and as we highlighted in our extended coverage of those hearings yesterday, which you can download for free from bradblog.com, Donald Trump's repeated, confirmed, felonious, and impeachable criminal obstruction of justice documented by Mueller's report. While Mueller's tone and grasp of the details in his report left many Democrats disappointed, I think, and allowed Trump and his supporters on the right to falsely proclaim some sort of victory in this matter, the actual content of the nearly seven hours of testimony before the House Judiciary and Intelligence Committees, just like his 448-page report, was a damning indictment of this president and his presidency. Here's just a minute or two from those hours of testimony on Wednesday. The president has repeatedly claimed that your report found there was no obstruction and that it completely and totally exonerated him. But that is not what your report said, is it? Correct. It is not what the report said. So the report did not conclude that he did not commit obstruction of justice. Is that correct? That is correct. Now, in fact, your report expressly states that it does not exonerate the president. It does. Lies by Trump campaign officials and administration officials impeded your investigation. Uh, I would generally agree with that. And during the course of this Russian interference in the election, the Russians made outreach to the Trump campaign, did they not? Yeah, that occurred. In fact, the campaign welcomed the Russian help, did they not? Yes. And numerous times during the campaign, the president praised the releases of the Russian hacked emails through WikiLeaks. That, way, that did occur. From your testimony today, I gather that you believe that knowingly accepting foreign assistance during a presidential campaign is an unethical thing to do. And a crime. And a crime. And your investigation actually found, quote, multiple acts by the president that were capable of exerting undue influence over law enforcement investigations, including the Russian interference and obstruction investigations. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. But perhaps the biggest single bombshell exchange, at least during the first session on Wednesday, was between Congressman Ted Lieu and Mueller when the former special counsel testified to the House Judiciary Committee that but for the DOJ's Office of Legal Counsel, the OLC opinion that a sitting president cannot be indicted, 
That's a pretty weak opinion, by the way, but one that Mueller's team decided to respect. Aside from that opinion, Donald Trump would have been indicted by the special counsel. Now, that is a position that more than 1,000 former federal prosecutors have now agreed publicly would be the case for anybody else other than the president of the United States who did these particular things, who committed those crimes. Here's that exchange. I believe a reasonable person looking at these facts uh, could conclude that all three elements of the crime of obstruction justice have been met. And I'd like to ask you, the reason, again, that you did not indict Donald Trump is because of OLC opinion stating that you cannot indict a sitting president, correct? Uh, That is correct. Well, with that bombshell dropped by Mueller in his first session before the Judiciary Committee, he later added this walk back to his opening remarks for the second session on Wednesday before the House Intelligence Committee. Now, before we go to questions, I want to add one correction to my testimony this morning. I want to go back to one thing that was said this morning by Mr. Liu, who said, and I quote, you didn't charge the president because of the OLC opinion. That is not the correct way to say it. As we say in the report, and as I said at the opening, we did not reach a determination as to whether the president committed a crime. They did not reach a determination whether he committed a crime because of that OLC opinion, but they were unable to conclude that he didn't commit a crime. When asked about Mueller's walk back on Wednesday night by CNN, Congressman Liu felt that Mueller's original answer was actually what he meant but that uh, the cautiously conservative Mueller decided it was inappropriate for him to actually describe Donald Trump as a felon under the premise of the uh, special counsel's report, which noted that since the special counsel could not indict a sitting president because of the OLC opinion, it was therefore unfair to even suggest that he should be charged later or held accountable by Congress through impeachment right now. Here's Lou's response to the Mueller walkback last night on CNN. Fully understood my question. It was a logical extension of me getting him to establish that the three elements of obstruction justice were all met. And I think it's what he actually believes. I think he may have walked it back uh, because he understood that what that means is we got a felon in the White House. And that's what the hearing showed today, that Donald Trump committed multiple acts of obstruction of justice. Those are felonies. Now, what the American people and Congress chooses to do with that information, we'll see in the next few days, the next few weeks. As to the issue that Lou cites there of uh, what the American people do with this, where all of this goes now, well, following Mueller's testimony on Wednesday, U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, flanked by several of the chairs from the top committees in the U.S. House, including Judiciary Chair Robert Mueller, Intelligence Chair Adam Schiff, they held a press conference where the Speaker, who has long opposed impeachment at this time anyway, That in opposition to nearly 100 of her caucus members in the House uh, said that she is still not ready to begin an impeachment inquiry against this president even after Mueller's hearing on Wednesday, though she noted that her patience for this administration and this process is not, quote, endless whatever that might mean in this case. And she gave the microphone to uh, Judiciary Chair Nadler, who reportedly has long been a supporter of beginning an impeachment inquiry in his own committee, which is where such proceedings would begin if they ever do. Here's a bit of that press conference. 
My position has always been uh, that whatever decision we made in that regard would have to be done with our strongest possible hand, and we still have some outstanding matters in the courts. It's about the Congress, the Constitution, and the courts, and we are fighting the president on, uh, in the courts. Some of your members told us over the course of today that they were expecting imminent action of some kind. No, I don't know why they did. What, what are the very next I don't know why they thought that. But they came to me and I said, I don't know why. The very next step is the lawsuit. Yeah. So, again, the lawsuit says as, uh, we have a number of lawsuits. you want to speak to that, Jerry? Please. Well, the very next step, I'm not going to talk longer range. The very next step, either tomorrow or Friday, is we're going into court to enforce, uh, to ask for the uh, grand jury material and to enforce the subpoena against uh, Mr. McGahn. And uh, that's particularly important because... Uh, the excuses, and I won't call them reasons, the excuses that the White House gives for McGahn not testifying, and the nonsense about absolute immunity, et cetera, are the same excuses for all the other uh, fact witnesses. And if we break that, we'll break the logjam. Madam Speaker, what about, where, where do you stand right now? What do you need to know on impeachment to say, okay, we don't know enough yet? Did I just not say we're waiting to hear the, uh, from the courts? So we have our subpoenas in the court for, and the subpoenas are for information. And we, and when we get that information, so we that can make a judgment. We have several considerations. It's about uh, what information is there, and this isn't endless. This isn't endless. Right. I, I understand that, but we have live cases in the courts. We have some that are going forward. Uh, that Mr. Uh, Chairman uh, Nather just mentioned. It is an endless, but would strengthen our hand to get that information. You could hear uh, Chairman Cummings uh, sort of mutter, yeah, when she said this isn't endless. Meanwhile, as uh, Pelosi hopes to strengthen Democrats' hand in this ongoing battle, uh, with whatever happens in the courts, Donald Trump and Fox and Friends, they were singing out and tweeting out victory announcements last night and this morning. Here's Trump's favorite TV morning show, Fox and Friends, just to get a, a small idea of how Republicans are spinning Mueller's damning testimony today. Gosh, I kind of felt sorry for him. He definitely was not on his game. Clear that he was not in charge of his investigation. It was shocking how little he knew, and it really changed nothing. We're in the same place we were yesterday yeah. morning. Uh, I, I think it's really changed things in direction of the president, who said all along that this investigation was rooted in nothing, uh, especially when it came to conspiracy and collusion, and that Robert Mueller, he was exposed as being best friends with James Comey. So I think it changed everything. I think today, if you get up and you say, let's go with impeachment, I think you have a party of one. You don't even have the speaker with you. Well, last night, apparently, the speaker, Nancy Pelosi, had a meeting behind closed doors and Jerry Nadler was pushing, hey, let's go ahead with the impeachment thing. We made the case today and she's going, please, nope. Jerry, sit nope. down. Very bad idea. I guess because it didn't change anything. We're just where we were at the day before. It changed everything because it really did clear the president. You know, you know what really happened yesterday? We discovered that after putting so much, investing so much time and energy into the Robert Mueller report, turns out Robert Mueller didn't know what was in his own report. This means now we cases. can move on, right? You would think so. You would think so. Well, you would think so if you get your fake news from Fox News in any event. But I particularly love that part of the uh, discussion from uh, from the I don't know if you caught it there, that that genius Ainsley Earhart. It didn't change anything. We're just where we were at the day before. 
it changed everything. So it didn't change anything, but of course it changed everything. Now, naturally, Donald Trump tweeted out quotes from that conversation this morning and had to add fake quotes to it, like, quote, he wins and other stuff that they didn't actually say. So what really happened on Wednesday and what does happen next? Well, joining us now is the great Heather Digby Parton. She, of course, is the much beloved longtime blogger known simply as Digby. She's the proprietor of the long-running Hullabaloo blog. She's a regular contributor at Salon.com, winner of the Hillman Prize for Opinion and Analysis Journalism. And I must note, as I do occasionally, Heather was here with us on the broadcast on that fateful day in June 2015 when Donald Trump came down the escalator with his wife to announce his presidency and was one of the very few that day and for the following months to warn that Donald Trump absolutely could become the next president back when almost the entirety of the world was regarding the matter as an hilarious, ridiculous joke of a campaign and as we have been uh, checking in with her and uh, on uh, big moments in the Trump presidency ever since, she has generously remained on standby for us for about every week over the past three months to offer analysis whenever Robert Mueller finally offered his testimony to Congress. And, well, guess what? Yesterday he finally did just that. Welcome back, Heather Digby Parton. Well, thanks for having me, Brad. So I know you write today at Hullabaloo about what you see as a bunch of important details that did come out of the Mueller hearings that are sort of getting lost in the drama about Mueller's halting manner and his sometimes slow grasp of questions and details from his own report. But before we get to some of those, just in general, what's your what's your top line reaction to those seven hours of hearings yesterday, which I assume, like me, you woke up at 5 a.m. to watch Gavel to Gavel. I did. Uh, those of us on the West Coast, we yeah. really have, you know, get, get the short end of the stick on these sorts of no things. No kidding. But I, <laughs> I did wake up and I and uh, early and got my coffee and watched the whole thing. And yeah. look, I, I'm, you know, one of those people who read the report. So mm -hmm. the stuff that was in there that, that he spoke about was not didn't come as a surprise to me, and I doubt it did to anybody who's read the report or even people who sort of followed it in, you know, in, in detail. Mm -hmm. But I doubt that very many people, you know, there are very many people like that. I mean, most people have lives, and, and I, I think the intention here was to have someone come out and, and reveal to the country in, in wonderful quick sound bites exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. And the truth is there are some good sound bites. I mean, you played a bunch of them mm -hmm. yesterday. You, you just played some. The, 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 there are exchanges in there mm -hmm. that are important, and they will be used, I think, as time goes on to, to make the case. And I'm not talking about the theater of it. I'm just saying that there were, there were smart questions mm -hmm. and important answers that came out of that. So, you know, that part of it was important, and, and nothing, you know, unique. I mean, there were some things I think we wanted to hear from Robert Mueller, for instance. You know, the idea of would you have the, the Ted Lieu exchange, which I think was extremely important. Would you, did you, did, was the OLC opinion the guiding, um, you know, the, the provide you with the greatest guidance in whether or not to charge 
to say that, that Donald Trump had committed obstruction of justice. Mm-hmm. And he said yes. And yeah. yes, there was a kind of a walk back, but even that was not particularly, you know, forceful. I think it's obvious. And we all knew that, right? I mean, well, but he, to hear him say it, I think, was important. And he also uh, sort of made that same concession when others asked him about that. Uh, you know, did if, if this met all of the criteria, you know, do you, do you agree with those 1,024 former federal I, prosecutors who said that anybody else would have been indicted were he not the president of the United States? And he seemed to uh, agree that that would have been the case. Now, but on that drama surrounding Mueller, uh, that he wasn't, you know, up to snuff here, I, I, actually, I think, uh, Heather, if anything, it kind of reveals or underscores uh, this this idea that, you know, that this was not a man who was out to get Trump, that that notion is pretty patently absurd when you're watching Mueller's testimony and his sort of, you know, dithering and so forth. That sort of undercuts the notion that he's an angry, conflicted, biased uh, dude who's out to get Trump. No? Absolutely. I mean, in fact, one of the great ironies of this whole thing is that if Mueller had, you know, I mean, this sort of goes to the opposite of your point, but... You know, if Mueller had been this guy who was, you know, who had exonerated Trump completely, um, you would think that it would be the Republicans being nice to him and saying, mm-hmm. you know, please tell us more. Tell us all about what you found <laughs> about our pre- our great president who did nothing wrong. And it would have been the Democrats, you know, going hard at him. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it was the opposite. And you're absolutely also right that this idea that, you know, Mueller was this, you know, this, this angry, conflicted, you know, anti-Trump, prosecutor was belied by the fact, look, the guy is, I wasn't surprised by his performance. I could tell when he gave the May press conference Mm -hmm. that, you know, we hadn't seen him in public for a while, and he has kind of, he's out of practice, he had kind of a halting delivery, but Mm -hmm. you know what, the guy was never particularly glib. I watched a bunch of clips from him uh, in earlier um, things. People are acting like he was some great orator, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, he was, you know, I don't know, William Jennings Bryant or something. I mean, he wasn't. He's always been kind of a guy like that, and he was a hesitant sort of speaker. He mm-hmm. wasn't a great or, or, you know, attorney orator at all. Um, but, you know, he does, you know, he's aged. I think he's out of practice, whatever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. I mean, because, I mean, the whole idea that somehow that shows that the, the, the investigation had some kind of flaws and was problematic is ridiculous. He had this whole group of people, uh, you know, professionals, all top-flight professionals who run big cases, who run big cases. Um, they were all there. They worked together. I mean, at Mueller, no one thought that Mueller had personally interviewed all the witnesses or had written the report by right. hand late at night on his little desk at home. I mean, that's not how the no, whole thing was done. No, but that said, it, it does seem to me that the Democrats should have, uh, you know, knowing that about him, because presumably they have spoken with him at right. least. They know where he is. Seems like they might have pressed harder uh, to have some of his uh, aides uh, actually be there to testify along with him. I know they had that Aaron Zebley, his deputy, in the uh, in the second session, but he was added late, and, uh, you know, perhaps all along he sh- they should have uh, asked for Robert Mueller and his team, uh, it seems to me, to testify to, uh, to make the case better. But I, I think I want to uh, just note here quickly, we've, we've talked about this before, but Robert Mueller 
is a Republican. And one of the things that's maddening right. about all of this is that apparently only Republicans can be special counsels <laughs> for presidents. And that is true whether it's a Republican president or a Democratic president. If it's a Republican president who's being looked at, uh, you can't have a Democrat because that would be unfair. But if it's a Democratic president, you have to have a Republican or else having a Democrat would be unfair. Yep. It's and, and That's it, how it's played out now for years. And, years. And, I mean, this goes back to, to Nixon. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that the last, you know, opposite was, uh, was uh, Archibald Cox, who Nixon fired. And then he hired Leon Jaworski, who mm-hmm. was a nominal, he wasn't really a Republican, but he might as well have been. He was a Texas Democrat mm-hmm. in the 1970s, so right. he was a very conservative guy. Uh, and a friend of the White House, and, you know, when Al Haig called him up, Leon, we need you, you know, and, that, and he came in and did it. So, and that's been the way all the way through. They're not, you're not allowed to have a Democratic special prosecutor, yeah. no yeah. matter who the president is. And it's, it's extremely annoying. And, you know, look, Mueller, even if, you know, he is a Republican, and even if you take all the politics out of it, he was, he's a professional prosecutor. And I mm-hmm. think what people wanted... And I guess we all might have wanted that, too. They wanted James Comey. James Comey's a different kind of guy. Now, I have... Also a Republican. Also a Republican, but he's a showboater, you know. The guy likes that, and that's why he did that stupid Hillary Clinton press conference both times Mm. during the campaign. He liked to put, you know, he would go and tell the story in lurid detail, you know, whatever it was. That's the kind of testimony people were were looking for, and that's just not what prosecutors usually do. And it's certainly inappropriate in most cases for a prosecutor to do that. And in fact, if the White House were not stonewalling all these subpoenas, it wouldn't have been necessary to have Mueller come in. You could have just called Don McGahn. You could call all these White House witnesses that were there, like a normal hearing. Mm -hmm. But we've got this weird situation now where the White House is declaring a sort of blanket immunity uh, you know, for everything. And that's not what executive privilege is no. supposed to be. It's being litigated. Yeah, right? hopefully they'll find out in court. Uh, but, you know, the contrast between a Ken Starr and t- talking right. about showboats uh, and the way he came in, a Republican prosecutor, and what he did and how he testified uh, in response to the Democratic president, Bill Clinton, comparing that to the wildly conservative response from uh, Robert Mueller, a Republican prosecutor looking at a Republican president, and you still had the Republicans complaining about how unfair it was that Robert Mueller was looking at it. And and, and this brought them into a whole bunch of conspiracies and so forth, and I want to oh. hit that and what's next very quickly. But uh, before we move on to that, just very quickly, Heather, uh, you mentioned uh, that exchange with Ted Lieu. Uh, where uh, where Mueller said, yes, in fact, I would have indicted the president were it not for the OLC opinion. Is there any other, uh, very quickly, uh, points that you think are being overlooked with, yes. amongst all the Sturm and Drong here? Yes, and I think it's important to point this out. In the second hearing, Mueller was far more conversant with the details mm-hmm. and much more, uh, I think, much more aggressive in making the case. And that's because I think for him, and I'm just, you know, sort of making this as an assumption, that for him, the Russian interference was truly what that, what that case was. Mm. And the obstruction which came afterwards was probably handled by his deputies. But I think the Russian interference was his focus. And he seemed very, very adamant here that something happened. He did not evade those questions about did, you know, did the president 
you know, were they lying <laughs> when they, when, you know, when, when you were asking them about this stuff? Did they welcome it? He talked about WikiLeaks, and he was much stronger in that. And I think that is really the focus. At the end of the, of the hearing, they said, you know, do you think it's going to happen again? He said, it's happening as we're sitting here. Yeah, let me play and that, actually. what did actually. the Republicans do? They went, they, there were two votes that were blocked by the, uh, the Alabama senator, mm-hmm. uh, Christy Hyde-Smith, uh, blocked two election security issues. Uh, security bills immediately afterwards. It's almost as if they just spit in everybody's face and said, hey, yeah, we're cheating and we're happy to do it. And, you know? and what are you going to do about it? Right after, uh, since you mentioned that, this uh, was a, a, a conversation uh, with uh, Will Hurd, of all people, a Republican from Texas, uh, who was one of the few, and I, I actually I think he'll be the next Justin Amash. I can't believe he's still a Republican, but um, this uh, exchange with uh, Mueller near the end of the hearing in the Intelligence Committee yesterday you were referring to. In fact, one of the uh, other areas that we have to look at are many more companies, or not companies, many more countries are developing capability to replicate what the Russians had done. Is this, um, in your investigation, did you think that this was a single attempt by the Russians to get involved in our election, or did you find evidence to suggest they'll try to do this again? No, it wasn't a single attempt. Uh, They're doing it as we sit here. And they expect to do it uh, 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 during the, the next campaign. They're doing it as we sit here. They expect to do it in the next campaign. And he also noted that it's not just Russia. There are other countries as well. Uh, it was chilling indeed. Um, Heather, you also write about some of the uh, some of the conspiracy theories, as you describe them, that the Republicans were working hard during yesterday's hearings. Uh, the, the Daily Show. I don't know if you saw this. See this video uh, that Daily Show posted to Twitter last night. Uh, very short here. I think it's somewhat instructive. It's a mashup of Devin Nunes, who is the House Judiciary ranking Republican, and Sean Hannity uh, saying almost exactly the same thing. Welcome, everyone, to the last gasp of the, the Russia, Russia collusion, collusion conspiracy theory. The Democrats colluded with Russian with Russia Bruce Orr, whose own and his wife worked on Fusion, Fusion GPS, Fusion GPS funded by the DNC and the Hillary Clinton campaign, campaign a warrant to spy on the Trump campaign. The top well, FBI to investigator and his lover, a simple basically media operation. The conspiracy theory is now dead. Is dead. <laughs> so... What do you make of that, Heather? Well, I mean, obviously, we have, you know, the top advisor to the Republicans on the Intelligence Committee is Sean Hannity. Yeah. And it was obvious. I mean, uh, personally, I don't don't think they really helped themselves with that. I mean, obviously, the Fox News people, you know, the Fox News viewers were Mm -hmm. all familiar with this. But this sounded like gobbledygook. I mean, what about Mifsud? You know, who the hell are they talking about? (laughs) I mean, it's like, it was just crazy. And they were so angry and aggressive. And Mueller was kind of looking at them, too. Everybody had that look on their face. You know, kind of, huh? You know, what are you you talking about? I mean, they, they helped themselves in that sense with their own group of people who already know what they're talking about. But I don't think it helped them. And, you know, and certainly I think that when you're talking about the, you know, the Russia conspiracy, the most important one is that, you know, Donald Trump lied throughout the campaign that he had business mm-hmm. with, with Russia. And that, bro- okay, you know, that came up. I mean, I think, um, mm-hmm. what's his name, um, uh, Representative Krishnamurti, I Krishnamurti, think. Krishnamurti, yeah. Yeah, from, uh, from Illinois. Um, you know, he brought it up. He said, you know, is this a problem? Could a, could a president... Be, could a politician, could anyone be compromised by lying about that, about having, you know, having the, a foreign government know this thing about them? 
And, you know, he said, yes. He said, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, I re- and you know, this was something, I mean, I, that they, that's what they nailed Michael Flynn for. That's why Sally Yates went running up to the White House and said, hey, this guy's lying. And they know he's lying, and that compromises him. And I think that's, and I think that's important to remember for, because uh, I know a lot of folks, not just folks on the right, there's a lot of folks on the left who are dubious about Russia's involvement and the way Democrats uh, use that involvement and so forth. But I, I always have to emphasize, you can toss that aside. You can throw that away. The fact that, uh, that all of these folks, including Donald Trump, were lying about their connections, their payments, their business deals with Russia, and a bunch of other foreign countries, the fact that they were lying about that puts them at risk of of blackmail, bribery, and so forth. And that is even if Russia had nothing to do with interfering in the 2016 election. That is a, a, a national security threat, period, on its own. Absolutely. And, I mean, it's, I agree with you. To me, this has always been one of the big things. And forgetting the, you know, the Steele dossier and that kind of stuff. I'm just talking about what we know absolutely about Trump, and it isn't just Russia. There was stuff with Saudi Arabia. There's stuff mm-hmm. with Turkey. You know, I mean, all of this, and and we know what he's like, right? I mean, he just is. Why should I give up my my financial opportunities just because I'm the president? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And I mean, this is a problem. And Mueller did say in the in the hearing, this is important, and people haven't talked about it, that there are current ongoing counterintelligence investigations, mm-hmm. and he specifically said that in response to this line of questioning. So they know, you know, he said. There are many elements of the FBI that are looking at different aspects of that issue. Currently, said the, the, mm-hmm. re, the you know, representative, currently, replied Mueller. And so, you know, this is, the, this is something they're not going to tell us about this. Although, you know, look, there are Democrats on the Intelligence Committee. Nancy Pelosi is on the Gang of Eight. She knows what this is all about. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, I, I find this very... Um, disconcerting that there are people on the intelligence committees like like Adam Schiff mm-hmm. whose hair is on fire over this stuff and yet we can't you know get to the point where we're we're ready to you know take that next step the, the obvious step in my view well and we're going to get to that next step momentarily last thought on the uh, the this conspiracy theory que- uh, section as as I'm calling it here the uh, you mentioned the steel dossier um, Seems like the Republicans sort of did themselves in on this one in that Mueller was unable to answer questions about the beginning of the probe uh, or the Steele dossier due to, yes, this new investigation that has been opened up by uh, recently by Donald Trump's attorney general and fixer, Bill Barr. Uh, that actually may have harmed the GOP case, it seems to be, because they wanted to ask Mueller about this. And he said, well, as you know, there is an ongoing investigation, so I can't speak about it. That didn't help their case. It did not help their case. I think they wanted to, you know, I mean, that's yeah. always been their, their big line. That was the yeah. new memo and all this about how the, the FISA warrants and all, that, all right. that stuff. And by the way, if I could just add, yeah. um, the, the Senate Intelligence Committee released its report today, and Richard Burr came out, I mean, you know, Republican. Republican came out and said there was ample reason for the FBI to investigate. It kind of shuts down their, Oops. you know, their <laughs> their little uh, conspiracy on that one. Well, Although they've be... got a whole bunch of other stuff brewing now. Yeah, I was going to say, I guess that kind of, they need to throw in Richard Burr now with Justin Amash and right. Will Hurd. Uh-huh. Uh, well, you know what, maybe they'll be the beginning of like a real Republican Party that can start uh-huh. over. For
from scratch. Well, then we need one, we I, do. Guess. Yeah. I guess. We need something. All right. Well, let's, uh, in the last few minutes here we have very quickly, isn't, uh, isn't a hush money, the hush money payoff from Donald Trump, which is completely separate, really, from this Robert Mueller stuff, isn't that in and of itself the payments that were made to two women before the election to keep them quiet about the affairs they had with Donald Trump and then the payments from the White House by Donald Trump to cover it all up that went to Michael Cohen, who is in jail now for this conspiracy that prosecutors and Cohen say was directed by Trump. Isn't that a much clearer case of corruption to impeach Trump on? Couldn't they forget the entire Mueller thing altogether if they wanted to and begin an impeachment inquiry tomorrow on just that hush money stuff? Of course they could. They impeached Bill Clinton for lying in a deposition in, uh, you know, a Mm -hmm. private lawsuit, you know, about something that had happened years before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course it it, it is. He he signed those checks sitting in the Oval Office. I mean, May I, I assume he was sitting behind the Resolute desk when he signed it. No doubt. In the Oval Office. Yep. He's signing hush money payments. And it, it, it's, of course, he was named as individual one in that indictment. I mean, and it's kind of sick if you, tr- if you believe in equal justice under the law. I mean, I yep. have no, carry no brief for, for that sad sack Michael Cohen, but it's wrong that he's, he's having to, you know, do yep. time for this thing and Donald Trump gets off scot-free. That it's alone seems like that should have triggered uh, an impeachment inquiry uh, already that Nancy Pelosi could agree with. Uh, you know, even while you're collecting all of you're going to court on all of the other Mueller related stuff, it seems like they should be having hearings right now on just that hush money payoff alone as an article of impeachment. Uh, do you see any reasonable political reason uh, to not open an impeachment inquiry at this point. I mean, that is not a vote on impeachment, Heather. That's an inquiry to find out if we should vote on articles of impeachment. Well, that's right. And a lot of legal observers uh, and scholars say that it would also strengthen their case in the courts for getting the, you know, the testimony of some of these people in this White House immunity. The, 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 the fact of having an impeachment inquiry turns it into a more serious, you know, more serious than just general congressional oversight and, and that, that the, the judiciary would be more inclined to allow them to uh, force these people to comply with subpoenas. Yes, of course. And, I mean, I completely, I, I'm, I'm a little stymied. I, I understand that I think that it's a pretty simple calculation that Pelosi is making, which is that she thinks that all those people who, who won the majority for her that came from Trump voting districts in 2016 and then switched and voted for a Democrat for the House mm-hmm. in 2018, that those people will be in danger if they, if they uh, you know, actually open an impeachment inquiry. I think that's utter nonsense. I just, I do not think that's how people think about this. If the reason that those people won had everything to do with Donald Trump, mm-hmm. it was either uh, regrets, people regretting having voted for him, or new people coming in and voting for the Democrat in order to put a stop to Donald Trump. It's not about policy. Yeah. It is about that. That is what 2018 was about. 
And by the way, it's what 2020 is going to be about. It's a referendum on this presidency. And the idea that, you know, there's this fragile majority in the House that, you know, they've really got to try and walk a fine line with Donald Trump, I just think is ridiculous. This is a fight. And, you know, people need to let's let's fight it out. Let's see how it goes. They and I think that the Democrats will win if they fight. Yeah, I think you make a, an excellent point that they did not uh, vote for those Democrats in the 2018 election in order to have them get along with Donald Trump. No. I mean, they no. knew that he was, th- that whoever they were voting for was going to be in opposition as a Democrat to Donald Trump. So, uh, yeah, last uh, thought here, and it sort of goes along with Ainsley Earhart's uh, nothing has changed, everything has changed thought. But I, I think that, frankly, I think the Mueller testimony made the need for impeachment clearer than ever. But... I'm like you. I actually bothered to read the Mueller report, Mm -hmm. and I thought that would also change everything. So ultimately, will this move the needle for the American people, which seems to be the, the thing that matters most ultimately to Nancy Pelosi right now, I guess? Well, you know, I don't know. I'm with you on this. You know, it seems obvious to me <laughs> that we have a criminal in the White House yeah. and, you know, an abuser and, you know, a corrupt, you know, leader and, you know, a barbarian and an ignoramus. I mean, I'll use all those words to describe him. Um, and he's, you know, an unfit president and he should be impeached. To me, this is obvious, but, you know, I don't know whether or not any of this is going to change it. But I do know, and I just, I'll just i say this briefly, mm-hmm. one of the reasons that they, the dial is not being moved is the way the press is covering this. Yep. And, you know, there was a lot of criticism yesterday uh, during and after the testimony about the fact that they covered it, you know, as a, either a sporting event or, you know, how's it going to come out and what are they, you know, what are people thinking and he didn't, you know, put on the best show, et cetera, et cetera, mm. the theater criticism. You know, this is a big problem. Because yep. this is a complicated story, and if people aren't going to have the time or the inclination to read that full report, they need to stop seeing this. In the reason that people, the dial isn't moving on the impeachment and the polling, is because people are seeing it as a, you know, as a game, yep. as a, as you know, this is a strategy, and you know, we don't want it, instead of what it really is, which is a fundamental threat to our democracy. Yep. If Donald Trump gets away with this. If he gets off scot-free, re-elected or not, I, you know, I'm not even talking about that. I'm just saying if he gets away with doing these things while in office, it has changed everything. The president is no longer accountable. And when they are in office, it means they are not accountable. If Donald Trump cannot be impeached, nobody can be impeached. That's exactly Impeachment right. Impeachment no longer exists right. as, a, as a stop you know, on, on a president like this. And it's That's very scary. And it's the Democrats, uh, never mind whether they're successful in the U.S. Senate in, uh, you know, getting That's enough Republican important. votes. If they don't take action, they are saying that everything this president is currently doing, all of the laws that he is violating, set aside his barbarianism and ignoramusness and unfitness, <laughs> that, that his crimes are just fine for every future president. They are not impeachable. And that's, uh, I think, the problem with not uh, taking the constitutional uh, action here that is required, in my opinion. Heather Digby-Parton, find her work, of course, at Salon.com, also at digbysblog.blogspot.com. Follow her on the Twitters at Digby56. And, of course, right here on the broadcast, the next time we can uh, trick her into showing up uh, and joining us. (laughs) Anytime. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Heather. Great talking to you. Okay, a quick break, and we are back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. 
Why wouldn't you want to stick around for that? I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the broadcast. Uh, once again, by the way, we mentioned this at the top of the show, but the uh, nation's automakers have made a secret deal with California, it looks like, to yes. work around Donald Trump's uh, attempt to relax emission standards for cars, right? Yeah, it's kind of a big deal. We'll have more on that in our next <laughs> Green, Green News, news Report. report. Uh, but is it, just very quickly, is it good news or bad news? That's good news. It is good news. That's what I thought. Good All news right. for breathers. We will get to it in our next GNR. Now to our latest Green News Report. Temperatures are already starting to soar in Spain and Portugal, France especially. Europe grapples with second historic heat wave in a month. Trump EPA approves pesticide known to be lethal to honeybees. Disappearing glacier in Iceland gets a memorial plaque. Plus, Ohio has become the next state to bail out its nuclear plants through added fees to consumers' electric bills. Lucky Ohioans get to bail out unprofitable nuclear and coal plants. Republicans picking winners and losers and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Despite what they tell you, the science is not settled. Oh, that is darling, Tucker Carlson. Remember when Fox News used to say that sort of thing? Uh, that was last week. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, the record heat wave in the U.S. has dissipated a little bit, at least for now, but it's returned to Europe, it looks like. Yes, unfortunately, it has. Europe is grappling with its second historic heat wave so far this summer, again shattering records. The Netherlands, Belgium, and Germany have all now set new national all-time high temperature records just this week, mm. with more all-time highs expected to fall in coming days. Cities across Europe have launched emergency emergency measures and protocols to protect vulnerable populations in the heat, which were developed and adopted after the historic heat wave in Europe in 2003 that killed more than 70,000 people. Weather forecasters say it is very unusual to break new all-time heat records in mid-July because it's already the hottest time of the year, and it is especially unusual to break them by such large margins. Climate studies show that heat waves are increasing in frequency, severity, and duration due to man-made global warming. In a press conference in Brussels, Claire Nullis of the United Nations World Meteorological Organization said these extreme weather events are direct symptoms of climate change. Heat waves are, do bear the hallmark of climate change, and they are 
as we saw in June, they're becoming more frequent, they're starting earlier, and they're becoming more intense. Meteorologists forecast that the intense Europe heat wave will shift to the Arctic, where it is expected to accelerate the melting of sea ice, which just hit a new record low for this time of year. The loss of sea ice in the Arctic is both amplifying warming in northern regions and slowing down the jet stream that drives these extreme heat events. And that's terrible news because a new report out finds that over the past month since June, there have been about 100 wildfires raging in the Arctic, releasing carbon and making everything much worse. All thanks to our climate crisis. Meanwhile, here in the U.S., lucky electricity customers in Ohio will now get to shell out more than $1 billion in higher electricity rates to bail out two unprofitable nuclear power plants and two polluting coal plants, all owned by one company, First Energy Solutions. Well, who is the socialist governor who has agreed to do that in Ohio? That would be Ohio's Republican governor, Mike DeWine, who, along with Ohio's Republican Republican majority state legislature signed a new law this week that forces customers to subsidize the aging plants that cannot compete against cheaper, cleaner natural gas and renewables. The bill also cuts funding for energy efficiency programs that save consumers money and phases out renewable energy standards for utilities, which Democratic State House member David Leland says is costing the state jobs. We're losing 100,000 clean energy jobs because of this bill, and we're losing $5 billion in savings because of the elimination of the energy efficiency. Now, just to be clear here, remember when Republicans said we can't afford uh, clean, renewable energy because we have to subsidize it? And here they are subsidizing coal and nuclear over cheaper, cleaner, renewable energy. Bad news for bees. The Trump Environmental Protection Agency has dropped restrictions on the use of a powerful pesticide that is known to be lethal to honeybees. At the same time, the U.S. Department of Agriculture announced it has suspended a program that monitors the health of the U.S. honeybee population. Last year, U.S. beekeepers lost nearly 40 percent of their honeybee colonies. That's the worst on record. That just days after the Trump administration once again refused to ban a pesticide. That gives brain damage to children. Finally, in a world first, a dying glacier in Iceland is about to receive a memorial plaque so that future visitors will know where it once stood. The rapidly melting glacier once covered six square miles, but now no longer qualifies as a glacier. The scientists erecting the marker say they wanted to memorialize the disappearing ice field. They say it won't be the last. The plaque bears the inscription for future generations, quote, this monument is to acknowledge that we know what is happening and we know what needs to be done. Only you know if we did it. This is all going very well. For much more on all of our stories and the ones we could not get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Oh, it's too hot, too hot, too hot, too hot, too hot, too hot, Very much so. Uh, as a matter of fact, that heat wave in Europe, we now have some uh, Even data. Even as we speak, yeah. Paris just hit its hottest temperature ever recorded, 109 degrees, in a place that has very little air conditioning in those old buildings. And the UK... 109 degrees in Paris? 109. And the UK just hit its hottest July temperature ever. 
It's bad. As I said, this is all going very, very well. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, and thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, all of which is made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to keep us on your public airwaves until it just gets too damn hot. Uh, bradblog.com slash donate. You can also drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. And my thanks as well today to our uh, always uh, favorite guest, Salon's Heather Digby Parton. All right, that's it. We are off tomorrow. We will be back thereafter. Until we meet again, I am Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Gotta cool this anger. What a mess we made so long ago.